Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I am off on adventures, so this is a best of edition of the Clark Howard podcast. I hope you enjoy it. I want to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. We will see you the last week of November with our podcast. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Yesterday, I talked about how some improvements you might want to make to your home are becoming more affordable. It made me think I should talk about the cost of owning a home if you're thinking of buying one. I'm going to do that straight ahead. Later in the show, though, I've got a key warning for you. If you're doing a Google search or Bing search or whatever search, there's something you've got to be absolutely on the lookout for because what you don't know here could really hit you hard in the wallet. Speaking of hitting you hard in the wallet, mortgage rates, 7% plus or less, plus or minus, and home prices have stalled out generally around the country. Some places have gone down a couple of points. Others have gone up a couple of points, but pretty much they're trend lining now. Instead of what we had for the last many years with values going up, 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 and away. If you're frustrated by this, the high mortgage rates by today's standards, and the fact that homes were this and now are so much higher, and you don't know what to do, should you be buying or not? All right, I got a marker for you to think about, because I keep hearing from people who have not bought a home before that you're really thinking about feeling like it's now or never. And it's not now or never. It could be now or later. And this is how I'd like you to process this. You have to really dig deep into where your money goes every month. Because if you're in the one in three renters out there, you pretty much know it's a known. You pay your rent, you pay your utilities, something breaks in the unit, You call and you hope the landlord comes and fixes it. It's not your money fixing it. It's their money. That's part of the deal when you rent. When you buy a home, odds are you're going to have to stretch for that mortgage payment. Because what it's going to cost you per month in the mortgage right now in much of the country is going to be more than what you're paying in rent. But you can't just consider that. You've got all the other things that come with it. You've got property taxes. You've got insurance you're going to have. If you put in a low down payment, you're going to have private mortgage insurance, which is a junk fee added on to deal with the risk you represent to the lender 
when you're putting down less than 20%. All these things add up to make it more potentially, meaningfully more than what you're paying in rent. And what happens when you go to a mortgage broker or a mortgage lender of any kind is they're going to put you through a pre-qualification or pre-approval kind of thing. And they'll say, you can buy a home of these many dollars at this interest rate with a monthly payment of whatever. And all you're thinking about, oh, they approved me for this. So this is what I can afford on a monthly payment. But is it really? Is it really? I don't want you to get into a situation where the house owns you instead of you owning the house. So I want you to go in with your eyes wide open. When we start looking at a home, particularly a first home, we're just like in a fantasy. We're so excited. We're looking at this and that and the other. And wouldn't it be great if it had this? Oh, look, that house has that. We kind of lose sight of the financial side of it. So uh, I want to pour some realistic water, not cold water, on you when you're thinking about buying that first home. You've got to have... Uh, it doesn't have to be a fancy spreadsheet. It can just be anything where you write down what you're looking at, monthly mortgage payment. What are you looking at for property taxes? What are you looking at for homeowner's insurance? If you have to buy PMI, what's that going to be? Utilities. Utilities in a freestanding single-family home are going to be higher than they're going to be in an apartment. In addition, you probably have more square footage in the house you're buying than you had in the apartment. So you're heating and cooling more space. You're going to have to have repairs. All these things, I want you to be honest with yourself. Not that you don't buy, but then comes the next step. Figure out where your money is going each month. What could you pull from to deal with that larger monthly costs that you'll have for the expected and then the unexpected, like the water heater dies or the air conditioning needs repairing or whatever, whatever it would be. With houses, things need repairing. Things break and it's not the landlord who's fixing. You're fixing. You're paying. I want you to go into that home where you can enjoy it and not dread the bills from it. And that's why coming up with a budget that is realistic, and it may mean you eat out less. It may mean that you, if you love travel, you got to travel a little less because something's got to give for you to achieve something that's important to you. We can't have everything. So in order to have what you want to have, that home, up front, realistic expectations. What have I said realistic five times? The point is being fair with yourself up front leads to a much better life and ownership experience moving forward. Krista? Paul in Colorado says, I'm planning to drive Route 66 one state at a time. I will fly to a state border, then rent a car to drive across the state. I know car companies discount their cars going one way when they need the car at the final destination. Is there a way to learn where the cars are needed? With that knowledge, I could best determine which direction would be most economical. Paul, what a wonderful question. Okay, so the one-way rental thing works in cycles. 
the way the cycles work is not exactly like you're thinking. You're thinking a very heavy east-west or west-east kind of orientation doing the Route 66 drive. And have you been on historic Route 66? I don't think I ever have. Yes, you have. I have? Yeah. Is that up with you? In Oklahoma. Oh, okay. Book tour. Yeah, book tour. Okay. So if you're going to do this idea, you're going to find that the car rental companies are not with you on this because the way those work is they're seasonal. If you hit typically after Thanksgiving, there will be a period of several weeks, about a month, that the car rental companies want vehicles in Arizona, Southern California, maybe Nevada, and then in the eastern part of the country, they want them in Florida. And then every spring, typically starting late April through May, they want the vehicles back north. And you may have heard the story how I rented a car in Florida and drove it north back in the spring, and I paid, I think it was $9 plus junk fees per day to have that vehicle and move it. The east-west thing generally is not part of that, and the calendar is what normally is your friend, but it doesn't apply in a normal east-west case. So you're going to find that those one-way rentals are going to have meaningful drop charges. And it is worth seeing if you try all the different states that you're going to go one way on Route 66. Is the cycle generally cheaper renting at the western tip of a state and returning in the eastern tip? Or is it better renting in the eastern tip, returning in the western tip? But you may find this to be more difficult than you expect. The most affordable way to do this, not the easiest or quickest, is to do this in loops, where one direction you go Route 66, the other you go on the closest parallel interstate to go back to where you started and you drop the vehicle. So I just took a lot of the fun out of that, didn't I? I'm the no fun zone today. No, you're I was talking about the housing thing and how to make sure that when you buy a house, you can do it. And then I'm talking about, well, you want to take the car. I'm just the no zone. No, you're not. Not at all. You're just helping people save money. Okay. Okay. William and Georgia also needs your help here. Recently, I inherited enough money to pay off the remaining $170,000 balance on my home. I'm sorry that you lost a loved one. My current loan rate is 3.75%. My question is, should I leave the money in an IRA or pay my home off? I am 61 and looking to retire in about seven to nine years. My wife and I are very conservative and have little to no debt. Absolutely do not take the proceeds and pay off the mortgage. Your mortgage is at a carry cost of 3.75%. That is, by today's standards, a fantastic interest rate. You can earn more on the money in simple savings or CDs than what you're paying in mortgage interest rate. You want the flexibility of having the next seven to nine years, having that money growing in the IRA. Hopefully you have it well diversified and stock funds principally, possibly some bond funds. You want to get that growth because over a longer period of time, you're going to be able to do a nice job building up your nest egg and outrunning inflation, having that money grow. 
that is what I do. I'm, you already told me you basically have no debt other than this mortgage. You'll have another seven to nine years paying off the balance towards the 170. By the time you'd retire, your balance could be very small. As long as you have built up enough nest egg, uh, you give up some flexibility if you take a lump sum and pay off the mortgage. But you could, at that point in retirement, choose to pay off whatever would remain of the 170. But even then, call me in seven to nine years if I'm still kicking, and I might tell you not to pay it off even then at what might be a balance at that point of 140 or whatever. It might still make more sense for you to continue to service the 3.75% mortgage rate. And I know psychologically how great it feels to be mortgage debt free, but from a financial standpoint right now, it's not the best financial decision. Nick in California says, thanks for being my most listened to podcast for the last three years. Thank you. I have a question regarding your favorite Roth IRAs. I opened a Roth IRA with Fidelity this year, but as my career progresses, I'm getting closer to the income cutoff limit for Roth IRA contributions. I'm a bit confused on where to find or how to calculate my MAGI. I'm also unsure whether I will surpass the income limit for Should 20- we say what MAGI sure. is? Modified Adjusted Gross income. income. It's after, it's not what your paycheck actually says. It's after various deductions the government allows. It's the that's the limit that prevents you from doing a Roth contribution. Right. I'm also unsure whether I will surpass the income limit for 2023 and eventually 2024. Do I have to wait until next tax season to calculate my MAGI before it's safe to contribute to the Roth account? I already transferred the cash into the account, but it is uninvested while I figure this out. Thanks for the help, Clark. You're the best. Also, as an aviation professional myself, I love hearing the stories about how your son is tackling a career as an airline pilot. Football reference, wink, wink, with the tackle. I attended the awesome aviation program at Mount San Antonio College and Southern Illinois University a decade ago, and I'm eight years into my airport operations job in Southern California. If he's looking for lessons in airport management, give me a holler. Well, thank you for that. And my wife is... Not the greatest flyer in the world. She flies, but gets a little nervous about it. And seeing our son on Flight Radar 24 in the air day after day, flying around in a little teeny airplane by himself as he builds up hours is a little nerve-wracking. Oh, gosh, yeah. You would you would go crazy. It would be hard. That. It would be really hard. Of course. Yeah, yesterday, he was doing maneuvers in the mountains and the Appalachian Mountains, and she was really, really nervous, saying, he's only so much above that mountain and oh. stuff. Yeah, so she had to turn off flight radar. I would, yeah, I would too, I And think. not watch anymore, but it's how you become a good, safe pilot so you can fly passengers is to try all different kinds of terrain, conditions, and all of that. But anyway, that digresses from the question about the Roth. Congratulations to you that your income is rising enough in aviation that you are going to potentially bump up against or go past the Roth earnings limits to qualify for a Roth. So what you do is, just as you said, in your case, you're in a penalty box. You cannot contribute to a Roth until you know, looking backwards, what your income level was the prior year. So you're always going to be basically a year behind 
on contributing to your Roth because you're going to have to wait each year and see if you are, in fact, eligible. There is a procedure where if you contributed and it was a not proper contribution, you can back it out. Pain, pain, pain to go through that. So just wait till you do your taxes each year, and then you can do a prior year contribution before you file the return, and that's what you'll need to do going forward. Up next, I got something that is becoming an escalating problem. If we didn't have anything else to worry about with all the scams that go on, search engines have become an engine for scamsters to steal your money And I'm going to tell you what you need to know. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We got to talk because there's a ugly virus growing that's attacking you and me and our wallets. It's something scamsters learn from each other. Con artists learn from each other. And something that was a minor problem is becoming major. And it's manipulation of search results Not necessarily with ads, but with what look like real search results appearing on Google and all Google's smaller competitors in search. So you will, as I've talked about in the past, you don't look for a company's customer service number in a Google search because the criminals have figured out how to manipulate the algorithms that the search engines use and their fake listing of a fake number for your utility company, government, whatever, are appearing first or very early in search results. And you'll see a number there and say, oh, okay, that's customer service for whatever. You call that number and who's at the other end of the line? A scammer who in whatever way gets key personal information from you, gets a credit card number from you, whatever. Well, as I said, criminals learn from each other. Scamsters learn from each other. And now this plague of dishonesty and theft is spreading very heavily to the travel industry. So as we know, the airline industry is having a lot of reliability problems. I was talking to a gentleman this morning who, this is crazy, he was flying to New York to a tennis tournament. I don't know what tournament, I guess the U.S. Open last year. Took him 36 hours to get there by plane 
on what should have been a three and a half hour flight. He was talking about all the misadventures with the airline and all that. And I was giving him strategies, how to deal with it the next time he tries to go to a tennis tournament somewhere. Because of how messed up the travel industry is right now, that's where the criminals have migrated to. Because you'll have a flight cancel or the hotel walks you. Walking means you get there when you had a reservation and they say, yeah, yeah, we're oversold, bye. And you go to the car rental counter, they're oversold, they got no cars, and you're desperate, you're a stranded traveler. So now the criminals are putting all these fake listings that pop up, again, not as ads, but as native content that Google has searched and the others have searched, and it comes up first or early, you call and you get a scammer. Washington Post did a story recently about how the scammers with the airline tickets, if an airline flight gets canceled, what they're doing is supposedly rebooking assistance. They say, well, you know, we need your credit card number to verify whatever. And then they're off to the races with credit card theft. And you gave them the tools to do it. Not your fault. Know that you cannot trust. You cannot trust the listings on Google, Bing, anywhere when you are doing a search right now because of this manipulation of search results. What do you do instead? You go to the actual website or use the actual app of whatever travel supplier it is. I had a problem recently with a hotel and I did not have that hotel app on my phone. That's what I did. I went and downloaded the app, and that's where I was able to solve the problem was through the app. But I can tell you, you know, we hear the worst things that go on. And not everybody's out there trying to take advantage of you, but we hear all that. And that's why I no longer, I don't ever use search on anybody to try to find the contact information of any organization. It is their website or their app where the proper place to go is when a problem is happening for you and you're stranded somewhere far from home. Krista? Okay, Ken in Massachusetts wrote in saying, my wife and I are both in our late 60s and still in very good health. We have never been on a cruise, but are thinking about it. We're looking for where to start. Should we be looking at certain cruise lines, et cetera? So... What I say to anybody who's been on less than five cruises, from zero to four cruises, is you want to find a cruise expert, a cruise agent, not a discounter that you call a toll-free number you book on a website. No, you need someone who is a cruise expert or cruise agent or an experienced cruise person in a traditional travel agency that sits down with you, even physically across a desk, or you do a Zoom call with them or something like that. And what they're going to do is they're going to ask you all kinds of questions about what can you and your wife enjoy doing in your spare time? What hobbies you have? Is gourmet food important to you? What kind of things bring you great joy in your leisure time? And then they're able, and they get sense of budget from you, 
they're able to then narrow in on what cruise lines and even within a cruise line, which cruise ships and itineraries are going to be best for you. You know, the problem for someone who's been zero to four cruises is you may see a deal or you may hear from say, oh, we had a great time on blah, blah, blah. And you book it and then you get on there and you're hating it and you can't wait. You're counting down the hours. I have a relative who actually was on a cruise that was a nightmare and was counting down the hours till she could get off that ship and be back at home. And what a terrible thing. You save up money all year to be able to take a trip, and then you're miserable on it. And that's why a cruise expert is key for that first few cruises you might take. After that, you know the lay of the land or the ship. You know the lines. You know the itineraries. And then if you want to just book rock gut cheap with the cheapest booking agent for a cruise, go for it. Aaron in Ohio, since I recently graduated and am in the midst of a one-year residency program, with student loan repayments starting up again soon, I'm trying to figure out the best repayment plan. Do you know of any tools or calculators that allow the user to input a specific salary for each year? My salary will more than double after I finish my residency, and it's difficult to pick a repayment plan using calculators where I can only input a single salary. My goal is to pay the lowest amount possible, but I understand that in this residency year, I may not be able to make that large of payments. Thanks for your help. Well, Aaron, congratulations on you going through the grueling path of becoming a doctor. How great is it that you're going to spend your life improving people's lives and saving people's lives? It's just great. And I do want to say, I think when she said, I want to pay the lowest amount possible, I think she means she wants to have the payments over the lowest amount of time possible from what she's saying, because she's saying- Oh, not the lowest amount? I don't think she, because she says, I realize, but I realize that I may not be able to make huge payments during my residency. Right. Okay. So Aaron, if you go in one of the income-based repayment programs- As a doctor, generally your income will rise pretty rapidly in the early years and then it will more gradually go up the rest of your career. In an income-based repayment plan, while you're in residency, the payment required of you will be very small. But then each year forward, once you're in practice and your income's rising, your payments will go up a whole lot. How much? Impossible to determine because most income-based repayment plans also take into account what your expenses, your eligible expenses are that are part of calculating a reduction in the payment. For you, I don't know how many different student loans you have. If you have any private loans, if you have a variety of federal loans, what I recommend is that you use income-based repayment, but on the loans with the highest interest rate, as your income allows, throw extra money at those because you want to service the highest interest rate debt that you have as quickly as you can, get it out of the way so that the loans you're paying forward are in fact the lowest interest rate, so your carry costs are less each month. Okay, this one's from Lauren in Texas. My question is actually for Krista as a Starbucks fan like myself. Although Starbucks has been a bit overpriced, I feel like it's now over the top crazy. 
It may just be in my area, but I do feel like prices have increased over 50% over the past year. I went from going once a week to once a month. Have these price increases been enough to lessen the habit? Between that and lessening of their customer service, I feel like I'm waiting for Starbucks to go up to $10 for a coffee. Thanks for all you do. I'm a huge fan of the show. She says 50%. They have had increases like what what you routinely get. Because mm-hmm. I remember the Starbucks, did the one close near you or is it still? Yeah, that's it. Close near you. So how much has what you get or what Mike gets, how much has it gone up? So I'm looking, I'm with you. I hardly ever go there anymore. I make my really? own coffees. Yeah. I was looking, I've ordered from there twice in one month, in the last month, which sounds like maybe a lot because she's only doing it once, but I used to go all the time. Twice a day. And I get a cafe Americano every time, which is just basically espresso and water. And it's now $3.95 for the grande. I used to get a venti and it was less than that, which is the biggest one. And so, and so then, what's wrong with small, medium, and large? I know. What are they? So what's a small called? Tall. <laughs> small, small is tall. called a tall? And what's a medium called? Grande. Then a venti. Is the large? So now I order a grande instead of a venti. Yeah. But it's still more than it used to be. And my husband likes this sweet cream nitro cold brew. And his is $5.75 for his drink. He goes more often than I do now. So it is, I agree with you. I'm just like everywhere else, though. I wouldn't say Starbucks is isolated at all. I'm shocked at the food prices when we eat out. We've really had to adjust our lifestyle with that. So it is a bummer. But, you know, on the overall picture, Starbucks changed CEOs again and it's because they're in a bit of a service crisis, midlife crisis. And they also were expecting, there was way too much complexity on the menu. They were expecting way too much of the employees, which hurt the service-driven nature of the experience and the time you were in line and all that. So uh, I think it's pretty clear that Starbucks knows They've got a service problem. I don't know that they think they have a price problem because the demand is still there in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Businesses adjust. If you don't adapt, you don't adjust, you don't please your customers, what happens? You, You don't adapt, you die in business. And Starbucks is not dying, but they do have things they need to fix. See, I'm like somebody who grew up on an isolated island who knows everything from what they read. I've never had coffee in my life. I've had coffee ice cream, but I've never had coffee. So I'm talking about something I know nothing about, only what I've read about. Well, you could get basically a milkshake at Starbucks without the coffee in it if you wanted to. That's what my son likes, but that will run you a lot of money. Like $8 or something? I don't even know, but, and Lane likes Starbucks. So I remember you used she to buy her discounted gift cards. For yeah, Starbucks. but she doesn't go there anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And they devalued the STARS program a long time ago. And that I used to use that and I got free drinks all the time. But it's just like the airlines. Lane, Lane got some kind of new coffee machine that makes it's really simple and makes these apparently incredible cups of coffee. And it's so much cheaper now. She can go have the coffee on demand without getting in a a line somewhere. Yeah. I and, bought a fancy espresso coffee machine right before COVID and it was $500. It was our Christmas present to each other that year. And so I your was, payback and how much you were at Starbucks was probably three weeks. You made <laughs> back the 500 No, but it was a splurge and we were, you know, we felt like, wow, this is a bit, and it was on a huge discount. And so it was our Christmas gift in 2019, but that thing has definitely paid off and I love the coffee from it. So 
And so that's the marketplace adapting. Yeah. So Lauren, I'm sorry. I know it. Well, you can certainly have a good cup of coffee at home. And there are all these machines that will now make no mess, no fuss, make the cappuccino espresso Mm -hmm. kind of things. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that get more complicated. Yes. Lattes, cappuccinos. Mine has a milk frother and it cleans itself. I mean, mine is, I love my machine. It's my baby. Okay. So uh, just for those of you who get upset with me, what do I have as my beverage of choice? I have Coke Zero, Pepsi Zero, or Dr. Pepper Zero. I am a soft drink kid, and I know the chemicals and the questions people have about that. You always have questions about that. But that's why I have no experience with going to gourmet kind of but Starbucks to your credit, a gourmet thing. You drink a lot of water. I do love my water. I drink liters of water a day. I find water tastes great and really invigorates me. Yesterday, it was very, very hot. And I went out on a long walk and I came back and I had a Powerade Zero. And then I had a liter and a half of water. That's how dehydrating my walk was. Well, that's good for you though. But I did it. So I want to thank you so much for being with us today. And I want you to remember, we serve you 24 hours a day. That's right. And we mean it. We serve you 24 hours a day, unless our server goes down at Clark.com. Everything we write, we write from the standpoint of how can we serve you with advice you can act on in your own life. That's why we put such an emphasis on how to, how to make decisions because of the paradox of choice. Americans are so overwhelmed with how to make a decision to buy this or that or do this or that or the other. And so we've designed tools for you to help you simplify the decision-making process and not just see the content, but act on it and make a difference in your budget and in your life. So please, if you have not spent much time on Clark.com, check it out and let's see if I can't help you improve your financial situation in your life and lead you more towards the path of financial independence. Have a great day.